the title. Is he optimistic or is he passive aggressive? Let me read to you the subtitles. Some know him as one who suffers so much and yet is always so optimistic. Others know him as one who works so hard, cares so much, and is a messiah to all. Most know his charming wine and dine side, yet I know him as the nastiest and ugliest passive-aggressive person who I have ever met. Which is he? The title threw me into chaos. <laughs> I, uh, let me read it to you the way I wrote it instead of getting lost here, okay? I want to share with you first a public admission. The night that I decided definitively to do this title, to do this subject, I actually had a total wrong understanding of what passive-aggressive is. It was totally not what I originally thought that it is. Then I went online and looked up what passive-aggressive means. And my reaction was, in bold italics, oi vey. <laughs> Did it make sense? When I looked up what passive-aggressive actually means, I see that the scientific definition of that behavior or symptom is actually associated with learned pessimism. I dedicated this class and I committed myself to view it from the point of optimism. What do I do? The public admission gets a little bit deeper. When I typed this email that night, you notice I used the word he. Is he optimistic? Is he passive aggressive? I talked to you about some know him, others know him, most know his, yet I know him. I will share with you that I was talking about a specific he. Someone who has caused a huge amount of pain in my life. When this brak hamivrak, as they call it in Hebrew, this lightning bolt, shot through me that I'm going to do this, I really thought that what I was looking for was, and what my nisham was pushing me to do, was to finally deal with the him and the pain within me. That's what I thought this lecture was all about. That's what I thought my nisham was pushing me, and then I realized I was totally off. Passive-aggressive is not at all what this person is and what he was doing to me. So then came the question, do I walk away and make a parava lecture about Shavuot? Scratch that thought, <laughs> let's go to Shavuot. I will tell you, <laughs> yes, sometimes I wish I was humble enough to be able to do that. I'm not. So I'm stuck here. Public admission, part two. Guys, most of you come to the nursery at the maternity ward and peek into the window and just look at the cute baby that was born. While others of you, Nebuch, have to see me through the morning sicknesses and the labor pains of creating a lecture. And uh, this time, I was driving those people nuts, and I'm sorry. What was going on? 
I couldn't connect with the kernel of truth that my neshama sent to me for this lecture. I want to share with you that for me, every single lecture is just one kernel of truth. And then I just have to sit back and watch it, watch it develop, watch it evolve. That's what normally happens. If you ask me why I give the lectures I give, why do I pick these topics, it's where I am at the moment, it's the one kernel of truth my neshama sends me, I try to hear it, I try to deal with it, develop it, and share it with you. For three weeks, this lecture was tossing within me. I thought that I knew what I was supposed to do, I thought I knew what my neshama wants me to hear, but this entire lecture for three weeks was going absolutely nowhere. I totally did not understand the kernel of truth of this topic. Why? Because I thought that it was all about him. So, the correct definition hit me like a bomb, and I walked away from the computer with one question. <coughs> yeah, guys, 12.09 last night. I walked away from my computer with one question. Was it all a mistake? Was this topic a mistake? I shared with uh, Clarita. I met her at the Federation mission yesterday morning. I thought I had it all figured out. I quoted to her on Mishnah, shared with her the four quadrants, which I saw it, passive-passive, passive-aggressive, aggressive-aggressive, passive-aggressive. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I understood the graft, healthy optimism, unhealthy pessimism, and all of a sudden I looked it up. I looked up passive-aggressive, and I was totally wrong. So, was it all a mistake? My answer to you is no. Souls do not make mistakes. I didn't look for this topic. This topic looked for me. There is something that I need to hear over here. And that's why at 12.09, I decided I'm not walking this. So, let's begin. Let's begin by exploring the mistake I made, what I thought passive-aggressive was, where I was going to go with passive-aggressive, what I originally thought this title was all about, then let's discuss what the real definition of passive-aggressive is, and then where I'm hearing that we really need to go. So what was my mistake about passive-aggressive? I will tell you what my mistake was. My mistake was that I thought passive-aggressive means that a person is passively aggressive. What does that mean? What that meant to me at the time when I didn't understand, I thought what it really means is being abusive in a very passive way. Let me share with you what that means. It means that he is not screaming at you. Rather, the sentence usually works like this. Well, if this is what you need to do, then you absolutely have the strength to do it. And you have to do it. There is no ifs or buts. It must be done. What he is telling you is, you have to do this and no excuses will be acceptable to me. But it isn't done in an abusive way. He isn't screaming at you, giving you over the head. Rather, it is a very abusive format cloaked in the sweetness of an empowering optimism. 
How can you not believe that if this is what you need to do, God gives you the strength to do it? So stop quetching to me. You have to do this. For those of you who have dealt with this, you will know that this is a horrible form of abusiveness. It is clothed in the so-called role of sweetness, empowerment. I'm telling you that you have the strength, but really, in an unhealthy way, what I thought passive aggressiveness was, that this is a horrible, nasty, and ugly form of abusiveness. That's what I thought passive aggressive meant. And therefore, I thought my neshama was telling me, with this title, that what you need to discuss is, what is this passive-aggressive abusiveness that is hidden in optimism? For those of you who know what passive-aggressive is, you know that I was so off. No. So, let me now share with you, and I read it from you directly, what the definition of passive-aggressive behavior is. Okay? Passive-aggressive behavior is passive, sometimes obstructionist, resistance to following through with expectations in interpersonal or occupational situations. It can manifest itself as learned helplessness, procrastination, stubbornness, resentment, resentment, sullenness, or deliberate, deliberate, repeated failure to accomplish requested tasks for which one is often explicitly responsible. It is a defense mechanism and more often than not only partially conscious. For example, a worker asked to organize a meeting might happily agree, but will, take, will then take so long on each task in the process and offer excuses such as calls not being returned or that the computer is too slow, that things aren't ready when the meeting is due to start. A colleague is then forced to hurriedly complete the task or the meeting is postponed. Of course you knew this. It's your field. I didn't know this. I had a very different understanding of what passive-aggressive is. Well then, now that I know what passive-aggressive is, now I share with you that what the real mission here is, I believe, is the exploration of healthy optimism versus unhealthy optimism. All of a sudden, the title takes a total switch on me. I was looking forward to work out passive-aggressive. I was looking to work out what passive-aggressive meant to my relationship with this one individual. I was looking to work out the pain of what I thought passive-aggressiveness was did to me. And all of a sudden I find out that's not where my neshama is taking me. It's not about the passive-aggressive as much as about the healthy optimism versus the unhealthy optimism. Quietly I will tell you, it isn't about him, it's about me. A total different lecture of what I thought. Suddenly it all makes sense. Once I found the kernel of truth, 
the lecture began to flow so amazingly. I share with you this introduction. I think it's important for you to understand the journey that I went through from what I thought passive-aggressive was, what I thought this lecture was going to be, how I was going to work out someone else in my life, that which he did, quote-unquote, to me in my life, and all of a sudden, I find out that's not what this lecture is all about. It's really about someone who is passive-aggressive, how careful they have to be between healthy optimism and unhealthy optimism. I really can tell you that at that moment I understood that the kernel of truth of this lecture really isn't about him. It really is about me. So let's start with optimism. Let's start talking about the purpose and the why of optimism. What is the purpose of being optimistic? Why should someone be optimistic? I will share with you that if you want an amazing scientific study of the purpose and the why of being optimistic, I will send you to two amazing books. One book is called Learned Optimism by Dr. Martin Seligman. Another book is called Posit uh, Positivity by Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. Both of them have websites, amazing stuff. So let me give it to you in my two-sentence version of what the purpose and the why of optimism is. So, guys, I'm sure, like you, I too have a friend whose favorite saying is, there are two type of people in the world. There are optimists and there are realists. And I am a realist. You guys have such a friend? We all have such a friend. And if you don't have such a friend, you might be that friend. But okay. We all know someone in the group like that, right? I will share with you today that he is right. If you want to have a worm's eye view on life. However, if you are daring enough, if you are brave enough to want to have a bird's eye view on life, then all of a sudden it switches. It becomes there are two types of people in this world. There are pessimists and there are optimists. And you, I, choose to be a realist. So there is the pessimist and there is the realist and we choose to be the realist. That's what happens if you're not settling for the worm's eye view in life. But you're looking for the bird's eye view. Are you wondering what the bird's eye view and what the worm's eye view is? I will share with you in one cute saying. I had a friend who would always tell me, yeah, the early bird gets the worm, but remember that the early worm gets eaten. Do you now understand the difference between the bird's eye view on life and the worm's eye view on life? You don't. Then you came to the right lecture. <laughs> Let's go ahead and share this. Okay, guys. The power of optimism is the power of transcendence. 
Let me share with you what that means. Napoleon Hill. You guys heard of that name? Napoleon Hill wrote a book. It's called Think and Grow Rich. In that book, he did a 10-year study. He was commissioned, I believe, by Andrew Carnegie. He did a 10-year study on highly successful, affluential people of wealth. Do you know where that book goes to? That book eventually goes to the concept of higher intelligence, universal intelligence. In that book, he speaks that the one thing he has found, and now you understand the name of the book, Think and Grow Rich. The one thing he has found, which is the most fundamental secret and power of the highly successful people of wealth, is that they have the ability to connect with a higher intelligence, a universal intelligence. Patience, my friend. <laughs> so, I just moments ago introduced to you the concept of higher intelligence as bird's eye view. What does that mean? The power of optimism is the power of faith that not only God can do good, but that God does do good. The power of optimism is to trust that not only will God do good for others, but God will do good for me. That is the power of optimism. That is the power of transcendence. The power of optimism is, quote unquote, stop telling God how big your problems are, tell your problems how big God is. Let me say that to you one more time. The power of optimism is to stop telling God how big your problems are, parentheses, worm's eye view. Start telling your problems how big God is, parentheses, bird's eye view. The power of transcendence, the power of optimism is to transcend into a higher reality. The power of optimism is to transcend into seeing how God sees it. Not just how you up to date saw it. It is a major, a major shift in your thinking pattern, in your perception. People, let me say this to you in a way which is very deeply meaningful to me. We talk big words. The bird's eye view, the higher intelligence, seeing it how God sees it. I want to be practical with you. I want to share with you what, in the most meaningful way, 
the Rebbe of blessed memory continuously touches me in my life. I want to share with you what this means to me. So when I would go by the Rebbe for dollars, for those of you who know that the Rebbe for many years, every Sunday morning would spend hours to be able to have a direct personal moment with anyone who wanted. The Rebbe would give a dollar, which was to influence charity. You would keep that dollar because it's the Rebbe's dollar, and you would switch that dollar with another dollar plus to give to charity. But it was a moment where the Rebbe was not just sitting in a room with 3,000 people. It was a moment where all that existed was Rebbe, you, you, Rebbe. So, I would walk by the Rebbe by dollars. And I would see how the Rebbe looks at me. And the one thing that goes through my mind is, after all the letters that I wrote to the Rebbe about my dark secrets, my skeletons, and all I see the Rebbe looking at me is with eyes of trust with eyes of faith and I'm asking myself whoa I know what I wrote the Rebbe I shared with him my fragile subhuman side how does the Rebbe sit there and look at me with such trust and such faith I would walk away from that magical moment with only one desire and prayer really permeating from my whole being. If only I could see what the Rebbe sees in me. I tell you with absolute certainty that there is no shadow of a doubt with my complete mind, heart, and soul. I know that if I could see in myself what the Rebbe sees in me, I would live life on a higher plane. I would be able to live with inner peace. I would be proud of myself. I would be a complete person. That, my dear friends, is what, am I, what I am talking about. When I talk about seeing yourself from a bird's eye view, changing the perspective of seeing yourself from the worm's eye view, all I am is my dark secrets, all I am is my skeletons, everything else is hypocrisy. To be able to shift that view and see it from a bird's eye view. To be able to see what God sees in you. What God's servants sees in you. That is what we're talking about. When we talk about that optimism is the power of transcendence. It is the power to connect with a higher intellect. With a universal intellect. It is the power to see what God sees in you. Life, being, the plane 
of consciousness in which you begin to operate is so different. So that is what we're going to talk about as optimism. The power of transcendence, the power of connecting with a higher intelligence, universal intelligence, the power to have the bird's eye view, the power to be able to see what God and His holy servants see in you when they look at you. By the way, no true servant of God from Moses throughout the entire dynasty of those type of servants to our Rebbe blessed memory ever lived in the foolishness of denial. They tell the joke. The Chassid goes to the Rebbe but he doesn't want to tell the Rebbe his weaknesses. That's a moment of vulnerability. Do I really want to tell the Rebbe the bad side of me? He's the one man in my life that I really want to truly make happy. So what do we do? We write into the Rebbe all the good things we do. So one of the great Mashpiyam sat by Fabringa and told me, well, that's a genius move. So you broke your foot and you went to the doctor and you showed him your whole foot. <laughs> that was a mission accomplished. So Rebbe's don't live in denial. The Rebbe read my letter. The Rebbe answered more than once my letter about my own dark secrets, about my skeletons. The Rebbe demanded of me to do certain things. The Rebbe pushed me. And then the next time I stood in front of the Rebbe, it wasn't, oh, you? It wasn't about being judgmental. You know, I can be not judgmental about you, but I can be realistic to know we ain't getting anywhere quickly soon. I don't judge you. I love you, I respect you, I'm available to you, but I won't be banking on you. You can be sure that there's nothing of serious responsibility in my life which I will put on your lap. So that's not trust. That's actually being non-judgmental. You did hear what I shared with you, what I saw when the Rebbe looked into my eyes. It wasn't being non-judgmental. It was against all odds from my worm's eye view of who I am and where I've been and what I've done. Against all odds, the Rebbe shows me absolute trust and faith in who I am, what I could do, what I will do. That is optimism. Not based on foolishness, denial, but as we're soon going to study on keen concentration and understanding. With that being said, we now understand where optimism is for this lecture. I'm sure there are many different faces to optimism. Truth is powerful. Truth matches from all sides. I'm just telling you where I am in this journey. That's all I'm sharing with you. Okay? So, I have quoted to you from scientists. Right? I quoted to you from Dr. Seligman, I quoted to you from uh, Dr. Fredrickson, I even quoted to you from a business maven of the successful Napoleon Hill, and now a moment of honesty, I am neither a scientist nor a business guru. What I am is a shliach who learns, thinks, breathes, lives, and teaches Hasidus. That is who I am. 
So let me share with you a book written by the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Sholom Ber of Lubavitch, in a book called Kuntris HaAvoda. I want to share with you the Hasidic point of view. That's what HaChayim does, Divine Solutions. So let me share with you what this book says to me. Learned optimism. Where does it come from in the world of Chabad? We don't have the fake it until you make it attitude. So let me tell you where learned optimism comes in Toidas Chabad, Shitas Chabad, Chasidus Chabad. What learned optimism comes from in the world of Chabad is, number one, a continuous study of God, His creation, and His relationship with His creations. That is then followed by a deep concentration, which is then followed by the Chabad form of meditation, which then leads into a power of changing thought patterns, which will then give you the type of true optimism that will stand in the face of adversity. I want to follow this process one more time because it's not what you probably saw in your psychology books or your yoga form of meditation. So let's go through this again. In Chabad, the Shitat Chabad, the way of Chabad, the philosophy of Chabad, true optimism begins with a continuous study of God, His creation, and his relationship with his creations. This is then followed by deep concentration of what you have learned, which is then followed by the Chabad form of meditation, which is a total conscious internalization. The next step is that this leads into empowering you to have a new perception, to be able to change your thought patterns with the true thought pattern of optimism that will stand and survive in the face of reality of life's adversities. You're now hearing what learned optimism means in the world of Chabad. I will tell you, in Kuntus HaVoida, the Rebbe Rashab is not talking about optimism. He is talking about love. Allow me, please, to view this concerning optimism. So, if you look up the book, you will find that what he is talking about there is love of God. True love or untrue love. Last night, I took this to optimism. So please, allow me to use everything he says in that book, but not about love, but about optimism. Okay? In this book, the Rebbe Rashab is working very hard on dividing true optimism from untrue optimism. He is working on dividing the optimism which only can apply to the godly soul from the optimism that can also apply to the animalistic soul. 
He is working very hard to be able to divide the optimism which is abstract versus the optimism which is tangible. And finally, he is working to divide the optimism which leads to passivity versus the optimism which leads into action and really changing and altering your perception, your emotions, your way of living. So what you're hearing here is that he's very clearly defining that there are two optimisms, true optimism and untrue optimism. What we will talk about now is healthy optimism versus unhealthy optimism. So let's talk about what is the real definition. What is he focused on in that book? He talks about that true optimism and is the healthy optimism is all about being able to control your level of optimism so that it remains within reach. In healthy optimism, you stop it. You keep it within reach of your animalistic soul. Let me tell you what that means. What that means is that unhealthy optimism is where you become abstract. Let me talk to you in a language we probably all know. I think that this is the definition of bipolar. One of the extremes of being bipolar is that when you're on the optimistic side, I am Superman. That is an unhealthy optimism. That is the same problem in the bipolar as the other polar of pole of the bipolar. So what happens when you have unhealthy optimism is you are disconnecting. It isn't real. It isn't healthy. It's not taking you anywhere. And that's why the vicious, painful cycle of bipolar is that back and forth. I'm Superman, I'm garbage. I'm Superman, I'm garbage. There is no in-between. So understand that when the Rebbe Shab says that when you go into the transcendence of true optimism, be careful. Make sure that it remains healthy. Make sure that you keep it within grasp, within reach. Because not to do that is to become completely disconnected with what true optimism is. Guys, let's talk a language that we can understand. So how many of us in this room are perfectionists? What is the definition of a perfectionist? So when you take upon yourself this new vision, I'm optimistic, I'm going to go out there, I don't need to work for someone, I'm going to work for myself, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take it on, I'm going to change the whole Hillel Education Department, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. What happens? For the perfectionist, the only vision he sees, or she sees, is the perfect product. You understand that what you're doing in that moment is exactly what the bipolar experience of optimism is. It's got to be totally perfect. Superman. And then I will share with you that that is why so many of us never start projects or have so many unfinished projects. Because it was an unhealthy concept 
of optimism. So, my friends, wow. When we spoke about optimism, healthy optimism, unhealthy optimism, everyone's got this abstract. What's the rabbi talking about? But all of a sudden we talk about practical, perfectionism. We all know that. All of a sudden it isn't an abstract lecture. I don't know, rabbi, what you're dealing with, but I can't go there with you. All of a sudden... When we talk about it from a perspective of the tangible, animalistic soul's language, the animalistic soul understands perfectionists. The animalistic soul understands that I am a perfectionist and everything has to be perfect. And that is the only reason why I'm not becoming an anybody in my life. That's the reason why I don't take on new challenges. Because I don't settle for the mediocre. I need to be perfect. And that's why so many projects remain unfinished. All of a sudden, to all of us in this class, whoa, maybe the Rebbe Rashab was onto something. Do you just now experience what it means when you talk an abstract, supernal language or a very practical, animalistic soul language? Optimism, optimism is the language of cognitive therapy, a new wave, a big thing. But let's not talk that way. Let's talk about perfectionism. Let's talk about what you and I think we really suffer from. Let's talk about what we think is the excuse of why we don't reach what we could do, become what we're meant to become. And all of a sudden, it makes sense. I can taste it. That is what the Rebbe Shab is talking about. Don't talk the language of the abstract disconnect. Talk the language that your animalistic soul knows it feels. That's what we're talking about. In closing, let's go back to the original question. Is he optimistic or is he passive-aggressive? Guys, souls don't make mistakes. My soul, that night on the couch, when it became definitive that I will talk about this topic, sent me a kernel of truth. But so many times we're not open to hear the kernel of truth that Anishama sends us. So many times we're busy trying to fit that kernel of truth into our box of lies. My box of lies was that it's all about the him, what he has done to me. And then somewhere last night, I let go. Somewhere last night, it wasn't about him. My soul talks to me only about me. What is this title really all about? So, let's close it up, people. Passive aggressiveness. Someone who is passive aggressive cannot be optimistic. That is the true scientific definition of the arguably behavior or syndrome. I'll leave that for the mevinim of psychology. But that is what it's all about. They tell you it's a form of learned pessimism. Someone who is passive-aggressive cannot be optimistic. But then comes the worst problem. When they're pushed into becoming optimistic, what do they do? They become unhealthy optimists. They gravitate to the unhealthy optimism. 
where all of a sudden, instead of being passive-aggressive, I can never get anything done, they become, I am Superman, and with God's help, I will fly higher than any eagle. I will be quicker and speedier than any speeding bullet. Amazing how the person who can't do anything suddenly shifted into the world-renowned perfectionist. Or maybe he or she hasn't shifted at all. Maybe the question we need to ask ourselves in that moment is, am I being optimistic or am I just being another form of passive-aggressive? Am I purposely being in unhealthy optimism? Am I purposely only acknowledging perfectionism and the perfect product because once again, I am still in my own comfort zone? of passive aggressiveness. So people, true and healthy optimism is all about a continuous study, concentration, meditation of keeping it within reach. Good luck my dear friends, good luck.